0: Welcome to the Dynasty Defined Podcast, a show discussing what is going on with the greatest dynasty in sports, the Oklahoma State Cowboys Wrestling Program. I'm your host, Lee Cothran, and today, well, there's no other way to say this but that it was not a good tournament showing by Oklahoma State. I can't hide that. can't spin it. It just is what it is. 14th place and only two All-Americans is not acceptable for our program. To put it into historical context, Oklahoma State has finished outside of the top 10 two other times. Oklahoma State and Iowa both failed to produce national champions for the first time in modern memory. 2009 is the only other year that OSU failed to produce more All-Americans in this season. It's just bad, and no matter how we spin it, the performance at nationals is unacceptable. And it goes deeper than Oklahoma State. You know how a couple weeks ago I talked about how the Big 12 getting better is... Good for OSU, that raising the level of competition will help our administrators see the light? Sure. But also, it will force our guys to get better. The Big 12 had 10 All-Americans on 68 qualifiers. The Pac-12, by comparison, had 12 All-Americans on 26 qualifiers. Keegan O'Toole won a national title with Missouri at 165 pounds. But Dayton Fix failed to beat Robin Bravo Young to secure a second title for the conference. The Big Ten, once again, reigned supreme in pretty much all of the numbers, but even more so, Penn State dominated yet again. Another instance of Kale Sanderson and the Nittany Lions showing up to the tournament and just absolutely dominating it. Nine titles in 11 years, 30-2 in their last 32 NCAA semifinals matches. Since 2012, Penn State has won 31% of all available individual titles. They have 31 individual champs in the last decade. Cornell has 10, Oklahoma State has 9, Ohio State has 9, and Iowa has 7. I take a little bit of solace in the fact that we aren't the only ones trying to chase Penn State down. By the same numbers, Oklahoma State is in the top three far more often than we are not. The point production in all those top three finishes would have won OSU titles in plenty of years during the Iowa run of the 70s through the 90s. Oklahoma State is still putting super talented teams on the mat. Oklahoma State is still every bit as competitive as they have ever been. The sport has just risen to a level where, A, there's a lot more parity. Guys don't give up pins as easily as they used to. And B, Kale and Penn State are just doing something better than everybody else. And I don't think anybody really knows what it is. Some think it's the RTC system and that Kale is using that to bring in top-level training partners for his wrestlers. I think that's true. I think you can point to that for the last two years and say that absolutely guys uh, like RBY and Nick Lee and Carter Starachi jump levels quicker because uh, they're training with Jason Nolf and um, Thomas Gilman. Dustin Plott beat Carter Starachi every time they matched up in high school and was considered a better prospect. Being able to train with Jason Knopf and not having a catastrophic shoulder injury like Plot had allowed Starrachi to jump to a different level, although I'm confident that we will see these two wrestle on the big stage a couple times in the future. Kyle Snyder's migration to Penn State from Ohio State landed them Greg Kirkfleet, who was originally committed to Oklahoma State. Well, Minnesota, but who's counting? Watching those heavyweight semifinals, I couldn't help but be... Extremely frustrated with Kirkfleet, who committed to OSU and caused both Mason Paris and Colton Schultz, also wrestling that night, to look elsewhere and secure spots at other schools, setting OSU heavyweight back significantly in the process. Don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Luke Serber and am excited about what he brings to the table, but those guys all enter their junior and senior years, whatever that means anymore, with semifinals and All-American finishes under their belts. Even though it was a disappointing tournament, you know, we'll we'll talk about the eight guys that wrestled for Oklahoma State, and then we'll talk about a few other things. So Trevor Mastro Giovanni exited the tournament fairly early on Friday morning. He picked up his first win over Iowa State's Kyson Tarakina, who did beat Mastro in the dual season earlier this year. He then faced Michael Diagostino from Northwestern, who had knocked Mastro out of the championship round last year. Unfortunately, that was the case again this season as Mastro attempted to orchestrate more late-match heroics that he's been living on on the back half of the season. He came up short, losing the 3-2 decision to DiAgostino. Mastro then dropped down to the consolations to take on Pat McKee from Minnesota, who lost in the first round. Expecting a repeat of the duel result, Mastro should have been confident, but it wasn't to be as Pat McKee is the king of wrestlebacks. Last season, he did the same thing, losing early and then ripping off seven wins on the backside to come in third place. He basically won the Big 12 this season as well, as he beat Mastro, Brody Teskey, and Killian Cardinale on his way to AA status, keeping the three best in the Big 12 from securing an AA spot at all, effecti- effectively blocking any Big 12 125-pounder from becoming an All-American, which is quite shocking considering the depth of the weight in the conference. Dayton Fix. What can we say about Dayton Fix? He's the best wrestler on the roster and possibly one of the best Oklahoma state wrestlers of a generation fully expect him to go win a world gold medal this summer and eventually be an Oklahoma or an Olympic champion, but he seems snake bit at the NCAA tournament this year. You couldn't really point to one thing he did wrong that kept him from defeating Roman Bravo young from Penn state. RBY refused to let Dayton get into any upper body ties. And when he was given an opportunity to fight through a wizard and finish that takedown, he did it. Uh, That was just it. You know, from there, RBY put on his track shoes and just refused to let Dayton get in to finish a takedown. It was an excellent game plan from RBY, something he's very adept at, as that is how he beat Dayton last year and how he has continued to defeat perennial third-place finisher Austin DeSanto from Iowa. Just a tough match for Dayton. I'm sure he will be back in the finals next year, and if if it's against RBY, hopefully the third time is the charm. The added confidence from being a world champ should also help. Carter Young, I, I don't really want to talk about Carter Young's performance. He wrestled the eventual fourth-place finisher in the first round, Grant Willits, from Oregon State. And while he got to Willet's legs, it's just the same story that we've seen all year. Um, it's been plaguing Carter, and it continued. He couldn't finish, and when he got taken down, he couldn't get off bottom. He dropped a 5-3 decision there. Then he went into wrestlebacks and had to take on Stefan Michich, an Olympian, and a 26-year-old from Michigan born April of 1996 to Carter's November of 2002, and also being a returning multi-time All-American and great wrestler. Just couldn't really like Carter's chances here. He went out and put on a great show, though, a uh, great effort, and got to meet several times, uh, just the same issues. It wasn't the performance Carter wanted, but I'll tell you a story I ran into and was chatting with Ian Parker from Iowa State over lunch, and he said, and I quote, Of all the OSU guys I've wrestled, which includes Dean Heil, Cade Brock, um, Dusty Hone, a couple others, uh, Carter might be the best. I really like that kid, and he's going to be a stud. I've wrestled everybody in this weight class over the past five years, and I really think he's as good as all of them. You all should be really excited for him. So, something to take away from the Carter-Young match there. Um... And also kind of the beauty of the NCAA tournament uh, where you can talk to a lot of these guys that have been in the sport for a long time, that are wrestling, that have just competed. Um, they're always happy to talk to fans and, you know, be accessible. So really fun stuff there. Uh, G, what can we say about G? He picked up the gritty 7-1 to one win over Army's PJ Ogensanya, lost again to Iowa's Max Murin, and then went To work on Friday morning, avenging an early season dual major decision loss to Jaden Abbas from Stanford with a pin, and then fighting off Willie McDougald again to get to the blood round. There he faced Big Ten champ Austin Gomez from Wisconsin. G gave it a heck of a match, but just couldn't get it done against Gomez, falling 7 4. I'm going to miss watching Caden Gefeller wrestle. He could come back for another year, and I think that's still on the table, so we'll hope that he does make a comeback for his sixth year. I know he will need a good NIL deal to help out with his family. So if he does decide to come back, expect yours truly to start asking to find a way to get him spelt. I don't think anybody could have had a tougher draw in this tournament than Wyatt Sheets. And I think his opponents must have been thinking, WTF, do I really have to wrestle this guy this early? Ryan Deacon, the eventual champion, drew Sheets in the first round. Johnny Lovett from Central Michigan in the second. Josh Humphreys from Lehigh in the quarters. Woof, just a really tough road to a title, and it's really impressive that Ryan Deakin got it. Sheets lost that one 6-2 to and dropped down to take on Navy's Andrew Cerniglia, who I'm very high on because he's a really high-flying pinner, and he was the EIWA runner-up, mostly because he pinned Josh Humphreys. Uh, Wyatt picked up a 9-5 to win in that match. Great win for Wyatt, and it made me hopeful for his opportunity to make a run. Except his next opponent will be the one seed, David Carr, who was upset by Hunter Willits of Oregon State. This could go one of two ways. Carr would fold up, since he wouldn't be able to defend his title, or he'd be pissed off. I fully expected the latter. Definitely didn't expect Carr to fold up. And sure enough, he did finish third in the tournament. Wyatt did wrestle him tough. I think he gave him one of the tougher matches that they've had between the two of them, dropping the match 3-2. to two. And that is about all you can ask for from Wyatt after that draw. With another year of eligibility available, I believe that Wyatt is on the fence about coming back. Dustin Plott had himself a tournament. There was a lot of doubt put on him, really all season, from the fans and from the media alike. Quote, Oh, I just don't see it from Plot. He's not good enough. Sure, he's a 6 but what has he really done? I mean, he's the Big 12 champ, but he's just not that good. Well... Dustin Plott showed up in a big way, y'all. I was ridiculed for being high on Plot several times this season. And there he was in the quarterfinals. Fairly dominant wins over Sal Perine from Ohio and Mason Kaufman from Northern Illinois. He then faced super senior Logan Massa from Michigan, the returning All-American who was fighting to keep his team in the running to win a title over Penn State. Plott couldn't get much offense going against Massa and gave up a couple of unfortunate takedowns. So from there, he dropped down into wrestlebacks to take on Ethan Smith, the man from Ohio State who knocked Travis Whitlake out of the championship round last season. In the Blood Round match, Plot dug himself a deep hole, a 7-1 to one deficit, but he clawed back from that, forced overtime, and then got the takedown in a sudden victory uh, match to punch his ticket as an All-American. Super exciting. Definitely recommend going and checking that one out. He then had to wrestle the guy who knocked out his front teeth last year, Clay Lott from North Carolina, who he made promptly, promptly majored 11-3, to 3 and got locked into 6th place at worst. This is where the opportunity came to take on the big dogs. Hayden Hidley, one of the best wrestlers over the last several seasons, was just too much for Plot to handle. And then in the 5th place match, he took on Massa again, to similar results as the first match. These two were just too experienced and a bit too strong for Dustin. The good news, both of them clear out, and pretty much everybody in front of them cleared out uh, for next season, except for two-time champ Carter Starachi, who, again, Dustin beat in high school, and the former 165-pound champion and now returning finalist, Mikai Lewis from Virginia Tech. Dakota Gear went 2-2 two and two on the tournament, running into Miles Amin in the second round, and then Marcus Coleman in the round of 16, Coleman and Gear combined for 31 points, and while there were times when I thought Gear would be able to get the comeback and go to the blood round, Coleman proved too tough. Not how Dakota wanted to end his career, but he is a three-time All-American for Oklahoma State and it has been a real pleasure to watch over the last several years. He also made a lot of sacrifices for the team, plugging in where he was needed, whether that be 197 pounds or cutting down when the lineup shift was requested. His personality and leadership will certainly be missed, and hopefully he hangs around for a little while to cut his uh, coaching chops at Oklahoma State. That'd be really awesome, and I know that's what he wants to get into. Then you had my main man, Luke Serber. He didn't make that run to the finals that I predicted, but he put out some tough matches. He made an edge mistake against Luffman that cost him the first match. Then he beat Heinzelman pretty handily in the second match, uh, first first round of the consolation finals, our consolation bracket. Um, there was some fireworks in that one. It looked like Luke was going to get a pin, but uh, Heinzelman got injured, and um, they took that injury timeout, and I guess there was some back and forth in the stands between the two uh, families, but I'm not going to get into that. Um But the, uh, you know, those guys, they they know each other. Um, Everyone there knows each other well. So I I doubt it was anything personal. But uh, they got back up. And frankly, Heinzelman showed quite a bit of grit to continue wrestling and mount a slight comeback against Cerberus. Cerberus ended up putting it away in the third period. It was a really good match. He then went on to take on Tate Orndor from Ohio State, another super senior who, not who had, well, he knocked out uh, Luke, and then went on to knock out Wyatt Hendrickson from Air Force as well, who I had in the semifinals. So um, that was what it was for Luke Cerber. Just ran into a couple of hammers that, you know, just kind of is what it is. So no, it wasn't a great tournament for Oklahoma State. Detroit was a lot of fun. Um, my father and I ultimately had a great time. We met a lot of people. Got to talk to a lot of wrestlers. and I got to meet Spencer Lee, which um, I'm remiss to say very many positive things about Hawkeyes, but of all of them, I've always had a lot of respect for Spencer Lee just because, one, he's so dominant, and, two, he's kind of a no-not. He doesn't seem to have that same tom brands you know in your face mentality he seems like a pretty nice kid that you know just is really really good at what he does and uh i i, I was it was nice to meet him and uh yeah i mean we we got to talk to some olympians sam heiswinkle from ou and, and kendall cross of course and uh kent coleman scott uh we got to uh got to know Gary Wayne Harding who honestly I'm ready to throw his name in the ring as next coach right uh, he uh, has a lot of people who respect him around the wrestling world so really exciting stuff for all of these guys and and it's always a great feeling to get to that national tournament you know missing it for 2 years was really unfortunate um and I'm glad to be back and glad to be able to share that experience with my dad and um you know, Detroit wasn't—the the bar was pretty low <laughs> for Detroit, but ultimately it, it was fine. It was, a, it was a nice enough town. There was a lot of stuff going on downtown. Um, the restaurants didn't open till 4 o'clock, which wasn't really conducive to this tournament. So hopefully the folks with the Tulsa Sports Commission were taking notes, and they'll make sure the thing's— There in downtown Tulsa Are open for lunch So that people Between sessions Can go grab beers And enjoy the scene And then At the end of the day You know It was just uh, It was a good old tournament We were walking down the street On Thursday night And uh, Brandon Slay Was on a scooter In front of us And he had dropped off His scooter scooter And started to walk Towards the hotel And uh, A group of Detroit youths were walking past us. And one of them kind of did the, you know, make you flinch move at Slay. And and Slay didn't re- re- react at all, <laughs> which is probably lucky for that kid. Because uh, that kind of confidence, right? Where when you're walking anywhere, you, you know that nobody... Nobody really wants to mess with you. They may not know it, but they'll find out if they try to mess with you. So, um, that would have been an interesting thing to see. Uh, Brandon Slay take down a some punk kid in Detroit, and uh, you know, put him in his place. So that would have been pretty funny. But ultimately, yeah, good time. Really enjoyed the event. That Little Caesars Arena is something special. I, that's uh, I've been in a lot of arenas. And that one is probably hands down the best one that I've been in. The concourses are great. It has an open air feel to it. And uh, the low slung roof made that place pretty loud. So definitely uh, highly recommend if you ever get up there to see Cade Cunningham and the Pistons or the Red Wings. uh, It's got to be a good time. So definitely highly recommend it. So beyond OSU not having a great tournament and beyond Detroit, oh, and then another thing I need to mention, um, met up with one of our great listeners here, Matt Wilson. So shout out to Matt. Uh, thanks for uh, meeting up with us. It was good to get to know you. And uh, thanks for listening all the way from North Carolina. Really appreciate that. Again, it wasn't good. I, I can't turn it into a good thing. It it just, it's not really possible. But I do think there are some things That we can be optimistic about moving forward The first one is that If you inject AJ Ferrari into that lineup And he goes and wins another national title The team finishes in 5th place Simply put, that one guy made up so much production That it was a difference in an awful finish In a finish that we're not happy with, don't get me wrong But we're not embarrassed by it either Fully healthy Travis Whitlake is also finishing top six at this tournament. I know there are folks out there that will disagree with me on that, but there are a lot of folks that disagree with me that the sky is blue. Travis Whitlake, if you look at his career, rarely loses to wrestlers worse than him unless something is seriously wrong. He's close to Shane Griffith and Keegan O'Toole, the two finalists at this weight. The results are there. If he can get some confidence in his offense, he can win matches against Shane Griffith and Keegan O'Toole. It's just the truth. Put him back into the top six, and the team jumps into the top four and is challenging Iowa. The second thing is leadership. A.J. Ferrari has a lot of trust to build back with his team. But it's abundantly clear that the team changed for the worse the night of A.J.'s car accident. If the proper bridges are rebuilt and that singular focus on getting back in the room and winning a title and working together as a unit happens, I think this team will pick up where they left off in December and January, which was really a highly dominant team. I know they didn't necessarily have the toughest schedule in that time, but you can point to the Lehigh duel. Lehigh went and beat Cornell, who taught you know, 17, right? And the EIWA champion. Um, there are other instances there where you can go match by match and say, okay, these guys are definitely making big improvements. Yes, Trevor was a little bit banged up. Yes, Travis Whitlake was a little bit banged up. Yeah, Wyatt Sheets was a little bit banged up. But, you know, we can move with that. But then the car accident. Everything kind of crumbled down. Really, the last month of the season was a disaster. just is what it is. Um, But again, if if AJ can come back from that, rebuild the bridges that have kind of been burned with some of the team, and if uh, some other leaders can step up, if you're Dustin Plotz, if uh, Travis Whitlake can step into a leadership role, if Luke Serber can step into a leadership role, and if Dayton Fix can step into a leadership role, then I think that that they'll really be able to overcome all of that, because they were all focused on like, hey, we've got the team that we think can go out and win it this year. So hopefully they come back to that and they and they get that attitude back and they say, okay, it's in our hometown, it's in Dayton's hometown, it's in Kenny Monday's hometown, it's in you know Carter Young's hometown. It's in a couple of our recruits' hometown. Go win this thing. This is our tournament to win. It's not going to be easy, but the truth is it's never going to be easy. There's no such thing. And everything's going to have to go perfect. And uh, look, is that a tall task? Yeah. Is this team up for it? I don't know. I think they've got a lot of work to do. But I'm very confident that with guys like Trevor Master Giovanni, Carter Young, Dustin Plott, A.J. Ferrari, they'll put in the work. I'm confident that they'll put in the work. So we'll see what happens. The third thing is this team is tough, and they are talented. None of them got dominated. None of them got embarrassed out there. And they all went out and they put up a lot of fight. There was a ton of fight in this team. For Trevor, Master Giovanni, he wasn't 100% going into this tournament. He just wasn't. He has been battling wrist and ankle and knee issues all year. But he was healthy enough to go wrestle. And he put up a lot of fight. Caden Gefeller. He's having wrist issues. Put forth a ton of fight. As did Wyatt Sheets who kept his bout with David Carr close. Seven wrestlers advanced to Friday morning after losing early. They stayed alive, which is half the battle. Just unfortunately couldn't get all, all get it done. Couldn't get to that blood round or um, all-American status. And the fourth thing is, Dustin plots the epitome of the above. He's tough. He's talented. He isn't the fastest or the strongest And you could see that in his two losses with Logan Massa, the super senior from Michigan. But his duck high single, as well as his ability to come back and gut out close matches is exciting. His ability to come back in that Ethan Smith match and win in overtime. He showed that in the Big 12 Championship. He showed that a little bit more as the season progressed. And it came out that Dustin's been talking to somebody, kind of find out a lot of the guys on the team they're talking to somebody they're getting their mental health right if they can stop fearing the loss and controlling what they can control which wins and losses aren't controllable but if they can go out and put forth their 100% best effort and do everything they can and leave it on the mat the results will come they'll win because they're talented enough I really think that Dustin Plot can help guide this thing where we, the fans, want it to be. We know he's a hard worker and first in the room, last to leave, just like Dayton and Ferrari. He shows up and he gets to work. And more Dustin Plot are exactly what this team needs. And the fifth thing is changes are coming. In his media availability after NCAAs, Coach Smith talked about how the entire athletic department needs to get behind wrestling. I quote, It takes a lot of energy and people got to work. It takes everybody to maintain our legacy. It's not just a couple of coaches that do that's doing speeches in town. It takes a team. Everyone's got to be on the team. You got to work when you've got a strong legacy. Can't just lay around. It doesn't happen by default. There may be a lot of people that don't care for me in this department, but it doesn't matter. You've still got to work. I want to see more people working for wrestling, period. This is a direct ask from OSU Athletics for more promotion resources. More people going out and helping put butts in seats for wrestling duels. More people making sure that around the country, people know about Oklahoma State wrestling and what is happening. If y'all have followed me for any amount of time, you know this has been something I've been hollering at anybody who will listen. The state of fan support in the three sports that take place in GIA is unacceptable. And look, I know it's easier said than done. Getting people to show up and take time out of their Saturday or Sunday, it's not easy. Especially when the product isn't quite as exciting as the average fan would like. Going and watching OSU wrestling beat Drexel 40 to 3 is not exciting. Going and watching OSU basketball lose to West Virginia is not exciting. I get it. But if you want pride in your programs, some effort needs to be made to fill that arena up for every event. I live a long way away, so maybe I don't see some of the things that they do for wrestling. But the main OSU Athletic social media accounts never talk about wrestling. From the guys that are up there, they don't know how average students would know that there's a wrestling duel. There aren't A-frames promoting it, there's no real announcements. The Ocali only runs once a week now, and I doubt it gets picked up by students anyway. It just seems there hasn't been much effort put towards wrestling promotion, and that needs to change, and I'm really happy to hear Coach Smith asking for it. Another thing John Smith alluded to are some other changes coming down in the near future. Quote, I think we've seen a little bit of a separation from the Big Ten and us. For that reason, It takes everybody now. There ain't no jacking around. It takes everything. It takes everybody. I've made some mistakes, and I'll personally be responsible for it, that allowed some things that probably shouldn't happen, happen. It's my fault. It's not anyone else's fault. It's my fault. Those are the things I need to correct in the next three to four months. I just need to get some things going in the right direction. I got a lot of support from Chad Weiberg. He's been there for us all year long. It's not that side. It's our side. I can't hear any more no's. I'm a real simple person, but I can't have any more no's. I got to hear yeses. Yes, yes, yes. Let's go do this. It can mean a lot of things. I think years like this, it really, it helps you really reevaluate things. For me, I'm going to be real busy in the next four months. I got a lot of things that I need to get done. We need to think about NIL. NIL. We need to think about what direction we can go in that. I'm behind on it. I avoided it. I didn't like it. And hey, it's here. It's not going to change. I've seen change for 30 years, and I've done a pretty good job. Things I didn't like, you just recognize it. It don't matter if you like it or not. It's changing. You got to be ahead of it a little bit. So this, to me, is John admitting that he's allowed some things in the program to fall behind, he said no to things like the RTC going out and recruiting senior level athletes and training partners. He said no to new facilities and some of that stuff. It seems that he's changing his tune on this. John's a real old school coach. We hear that. What does that mean? It means when John was competing, and, he, and he'll tell you this, him and Kenny Monday had to go fundraise to pay for their trips overseas to wrestle to go to the Olympics, to go to the World Championships. Him and Kenny Monday were going out there and they were raising funds so that they could do this. They were living, you know, hand to mouth. They didn't have a lot of handouts. They didn't have any money. They were living a real Spartan lifestyle. And John was singularly focused on just winning titles. That's all he did. He would wake up at 3 a.m. and he would start training. And that lifestyle... For John, it worked, and he's always thought, if guys are serious about this, they have to be as serious as I was. They have to do things the way that I did them. They can't get corrupted by money. He thinks he lost an edge when he started making money, when he got the shoe deal from Adidas, when he got some endorsements. He thinks he lost a bit of edge. He thinks that's why he lost to that Cuban twice. Um so he doesn't think that guys should be earning they shouldn't they certainly should be shouldn't be getting a salary from the club that they're wrestling for. Um that's just not how he operates. And then he also, you know, if you're not willing to work as hard as he did, then you don't deserve to be a champion. That's that's how he has felt about it in the past. I I think his tunes changed a lot on a lot of those things, right? Um this year is a great example after the tournament they have a get together at uh, the team hotel usually and John will give a speech and some of the guys will give a speech and then you do a meet and greet you kind of get to know some people but in 2018 in Cleveland similar tournament probably worse finish Uh, three All-Americans but no finalist, um, definitely a worst, finish, worst finished, worst finish, and a kind of depressing tournament with uh, Dean Heil and some of that stuff, but John was talking about, these guys need to get tougher, they're not tough enough, we're not tough enough, they're not tough enough, we need to get better, we need to get tougher, I promise we'll do something better next year, And you know, 2019 was better in Pittsburgh. It wasn't a national title, but he kind of gave the same speech there. You know, he said, what, what was it, fourth place, third place, fourth place? Look, a team, he, he said, hey, a team trophy is still good. It's not what we came here for, but I've kind of changed my tune. Um, it's not so much about championships. It's did we grow, and I feel like we grew, and so on and so forth. Well, this Saturday... I was expecting more of the, you know, these these guys aren't tough enough. We have to get tougher. We have to do it for you, blah, blah, blah. That's not what he did. He talked about how proud he was. About how proud he was of the athletes. About how proud he was of guys like Dakota Gear and Caden Gefeller and Carter Young. Um, And Dayton Fix. He talked about how big of a man he thinks Dayton Fix is. He thinks... Dayton Fix handles adversity better than anybody he's ever seen. Because usually these high-level guys, if they lose like that, it destroys them. And it doesn't really do that to Dayton. Um, which I, I don't know if I agree with that. He, he definitely looks uh, put out after he loses. But he bounces back quick and you know gets back to work is the thing. But that's what John was talking about. He said, you know, we're going to go and get back to work and try not to have this kind of finish again. But ultimately, he he said he's proud of these guys and proud of his team and proud of the adversity that they all overcame. I think he's changing his tune on that. I think he's changing his tune on asking for facility upgrades. Obviously, they've got the locker room in Gallagher-Iba finished up. I think there's going to be some announcements over the next six months or so or a year that we're all going to be really excited about. And um, I can say now that we're making some changes in the RTC that's really going to help us prepare our program forward. So here's an announcement about the RTC. The RTC has raised a significant amount of money over the past several months. Between the golf tournament some appearances and coaching opportunities, and the casino night. With this, the RTC is going to start working to be as competitive as the Penn State and Michigan and Iowa RTCs of the world. More events, more fundraising opportunities. They want all of us involved. From the $2 a month donor who just wants to support the program however they can, to the $200 $200 a month donor and beyond. They want us to get involved and help and get more opportunities for OSU athletes to pursue their senior-level dreams, but also for junior and cadet athletes in Stillwater and Oklahoma to be able to pursue their wrestling dreams. With that, the new Cowboy RTC website will be launching in April, and it looks really slick. And it's going to have plenty of options for you to help give money and uh, get involved. So it's really exciting stuff that will get you up to speed on what all is happening with the Cowboy RTC, who's in the program, what coaches are in the room, all that fun stuff. So keep an eye on my Twitter as more news arises on this front. But the Dynasty Defined podcast is going to be tightly intertwined with promoting what is happening with the Cowboy RTC from here on out. And I'm very excited for that partnership and grateful for the opportunity. And now we'll get to questions. All right. Thank you to our sponsors there. Definitely appreciate all their support. So question one comes from Robert Falk. Any specific details on AJ and whether he had or is having surgery? What about Anthony? When is he wrestling next? This spring? You know, Robert, I honestly don't know anything about AJ. I think he has several things he needs to work on, but I don't know anything about any surgery. I know that John mentioned that he needed one, but I don't know the details on that, and I don't know if he's had it or where it is or anything like that. Um, Honestly, it's between AJ and his family and his doctors. So, uh, you know, I'm not really going to report on that stuff too much uh, just because, you know, it's, it's not really my business. uh, And, uh, you know, that's, that's private information. So I imagine he'll be ready for the season. He's basically confirmed that he's coming back. So, uh, we'll see what happens. On Anthony, I, I imagine that if he's able to wrestle, he'll wrestle in some junior-level opens this spring to try to make a junior world team. Uh, not sure why he wouldn't, but like AJ, I don't really know what's going on with them. Thanks for the question, Robert. As always, I really appreciate all your support this season. Nathan McKenzie asked, what's holding Mastro back from bonus points and being an All-American? Um, and Nathan, I'm I'm not really concerned about bonus points. It's hard to score bonus points at lightweights for the most part. The thing holding Mastro back is his lacking skill and getting off bottom. I think that's probably the biggest thing. And is that because of a wrist injury? Uh, that probably plays into it. You know, he kept trying to tripod out and then uh, grab wrist and break wrist and circle out. That's really that was his go-to move. And I think he really needs to work. More of his switches and uh, sit outs would probably be a lot more successful for Mastro. Um, So I'm sure he'll be able to work on that this offseason. I'm sure it'll be a priority for him. Uh, His speed and ability to execute takedowns is top notch. And you know what? Mastro is is pretty tall for a 125 pounder. I I was surprised at how tall he was. Uh, He's probably 5'7 or so. Um, So his height is an advantage. But it, it's hard to cut down to 125 pounds when you start to get tall. Um, I'll never forget seeing Ethan Lezak at Nationals in Cleveland, and that guy was six feet tall and cutting down to 125 pounds and was just real, he was a stick, you know. Um, it was kind of scary. So it's uh, it's tough to cut down to weight, so I, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with Mastro. Um, but I, I think if he can work on getting out from bottom and, and and stay healthy then uh, Master will be fine the bonus points will come with more experience Um, it it, it really is hard to score bonus points at 125 pounds unless you're Spencer Lee thanks for the question Nathan really really appreciate you too you've you've always been an active question asker so thanks for that Ross Hudson asked has Luke already moved to Edmond to get on that Edmond water for the cowboy boat job um yeah, I think they're bottling that stuff and shipping it up to him, right? Uh, maybe sometime at that uh, fish fry place north of town will help, too. But seriously, I talked to Luke about this, and he said it's hard. Uh, but being able to focus on lifting heavy weights and eating a lot of meals, he thinks he'll be able to add 15 or 20 good pounds that he won't lose in one practice. So that's going to be his focus in the off season. He really believes that if he can put on that weight, then uh, he'll be a contender. Jonathan Vestal asked... It's becoming evident that well-funded RTCs are a core component to today's elite programs. What structure and infrastructure is planned to entice senior-level athletes to come stay in Stillwater? And yeah, as mentioned before the break, fundraising has been going on for the last year to make the club more competitive and to try to start getting higher-level coaching and training partners into Stillwater. A big part of that is going to be turning current OSU athletes into high-level senior-level wrestlers. Coach Zoe is doing a lot of things in the program and a lot of USA Wrestling outreach. And with Dayton's continued success at that level, it will certainly come. Jakara Winchester splits time between Stillwater and Colorado Springs. There's also rumors about a couple of other high-level women's wrestlers spending more and more time in Stillwater. So it's all coming together. With the launch of the website in April and more events coming soon, stay tuned to the podcast to learn how you can get involved. And thanks so much for listening, and thanks so much for your question, Jonathan. Really appreciate it. Um, The thing with the RTC is, is you've got to be a little bit patient. It's coming. Like that's the best I can tell you. It's not going to all come together overnight, but over the next four months, a lot of changes are going to happen, and you're going to really see it. And then when our last question came from Doctor Cook, why are fans melting down? Is it because a they're not really fans? Two. They haven't paid attention to our injury situation. Three. Didn't watch Nationals to see Young lose to a guy almost seven years older. Four. Didn't watch Nationals to see Plot lose to two seventh-year super seniors. Five. Realized we were down a National Champ and fourth-place finisher from a year ago due to injury. Six. Didn't watch Sheets have to battle a defending National Champ in his second console match. Seven. Seven. Watch currently undersized Cerber Smoko use heavyweight but lose to a super senior. Eight, watch Gefeller Pinnickid, P- uh, who beat him earlier in the year. Nine, not realize at nationals we started four freshmen. And ten, are acting like it's easy to win a natty. Thanks, I look forward to your answers. Go Pokes. And I mean, you know I get all of that, Doc. Um, and I want to make something abundantly clear I am here to be positive about Oklahoma State wrestling. There are certainly things that we can be critical about, but saying things like, quote, Luke Serber's not very good at wrestling, or being overly critical of the kids, that's never cool. It's never okay. It just isn't. And I see it a lot out there. And they do too. It really hurt my heart this weekend to hear one wrestler say, You know, our fans are really harsh towards us on social media, and not just on Twitter, but all over. It's kind of relentless. And yes, they chose to come wrestle at Oklahoma State and represent the greatest dynasty in all of sports. There will be a lot of that kind of stuff, and they should block it out. But there's a difference between pressure and cruelty. Don't just say, this guy sucks, or this guy is an Oklahoma State caliber and isn't good enough to wrestle here they see that in their kids. Well, most of them are. You get the point. It remains. They chose to come do something they love for something that we love. They chose to put a lot of blood and sweat into something that is really just for our entertainment and to make us feel a little bit more proud of our alma mater. They are us and we are them. Before you hit send on a tweet, Think to yourself, if somebody said this to me, how would it make me feel? Or better yet, if somebody said this about my son, how would it make me feel? They see these things. They read it. They consume it. And they start to believe it if they see it enough. If enough different people are saying the opposite of what I say, which again, I'm not saying you have to agree with me. And I'm not saying any of you are bad people, but you've got to think about what would you do? Put yourself in their shoes. Really, truly try to put yourself in their shoes in your day job. Imagine you're performing your day job. I sell enterprise software. I'm making a cold call. When I get off that call, if I go on Twitter and 50 people say, man, you really sucked at that. You should really find a new career. You, you're not good at what you do. How do you feed your family? That would hurt. I know I'm good at what I do. I know I'm a really good enterprise software salesperson. I have awards and trophies that say that. Just like the kids that are wrestling at Oklahoma State have awards and trophies that say, I'm a really good wrestler. Oh, and I got recruited to the one of the three top wrestling programs in the country for college and I was a top 25 recruit because that's what the lineup is made up of. They were all top 25 recruits. So think about it, you know, like just really express some empathy. I know it's not necessarily popular in today's discourse, but you've got to put yourself in their shoes and really think about how would this make me feel if I read this? And again, I'm, I'm not saying you can't be critical. I'm not saying you can think that the program's declining. You can think those things and you can say those things. And, and, and sure, saying those things about the program is one thing. Being constructive about a kid's wrestling is one thing. Saying okay, well, yeah, Trevor Master needs to get better off bottom. Um, Yeah, he does. He knows that, and you can say that. But saying he sucks and he's not good enough to wrestle here, that's not the same thing. It's just not. And we have to realize that, and we have to stop being so critical because, again, they see it. And if they're not having good experiences here, then it's going to be really hard for them to help the people who are trying to come in after them see that Oklahoma State's a good place to be. So it's only going to make it worse. So when something happens, when you're upset, take, just take a pause and say, how would this make me feel? And maybe rephrase it to be constructive to make it sound a bit better to make it so that wow our fans are knowledgeable and they really care. It's it's a really simple mindset set mindset shift. And I know you're all capable of do it, doing it. Because you're smart. I'm guessing most of your Oklahoma State grads. I'm guessing most of you have a passion for the program, and I know for a fact all of you want the exact same thing that I want, which is for Oklahoma State to get back to the top. And Oklahoma State Wrestling is going to get back to the mountaintop, y'all. As John Smith said today, we are all going to have to go to work on it. I'm going to keep doing this podcast, and there are some super exciting things coming on that you all are going to love. Y'all need to go to the duels, be positive about the team, appreciate that we have a program that can get back to the top, that's invested in it, that wants it. Always have faith in God, yourself, and the Cowboys. Go Pokes.